Well, this morning we're going to continue dealing with the questions of authority. As we began in this chapter, we've been talking about Jesus' authority. Where does Jesus gain his authority? Why should we listen to him? Uh, Why should his words matter? That's what we've been doing all the way through the first 19 verses. Now, the, the, the tack is going to switch a little, and they're going to ask him about the, the authority of Caesar. The authority of Caesar, the priority of the temple, versus Jesus' authority. Where does one start and the other stop? <clears throat> this is a question they're coming to him with. They begin in verse 20, So they watched him and sent spies who pretended to be sincere, that they might catch him in something he said, so as to deliver him up to the authority and jurisdiction of the governor. So we understand why they're there, right? There, is truth matter? No, truth doesn't matter. Why doesn't truth matter? Because they don't care about the truth. What do they care about? I want to hear if he says something wrong so we can get him. We want to, we want to try to, to cause him to fall in the eyes of the people at the temple because ultimately their goal is they would like to take him from the temple. I mean, that'd be the best case. The best case scenario would be able for Jesus to, to disqualify himself before the people as he was teaching daily in the temple, one week before the cross. The, the, the opportunity is, man, if he would, if he would blow it in front of the people so that he would fall in his, in his popularity with the people and at the same time get himself in trouble with the governor, we got him. We'll take him right from the temple before the people and we'll, we'll squash this whole thing. Truth didn't make any difference. Truth never entered into the equation. What entered into the equation was the protection of our authority. And if Jesus has his way and there's a new kingdom come and and this world turns upside down, then who will have the final authority then? Question of of a priority and power is what's bringing them before Jesus that day. So these guys who show up, they say these sickly sweet words. You ever had somebody say sickly sweet words to you? And every woman in here has heard it from some guy at one time or another, right? Somebody told you, don't ever believe them. God spared me of having a daughter. I don't know what I would have done. But God have mercy, I have a granddaughter, and I'm not afraid to go to jail. I'm telling you. So is she going to grow up here? Is she going to go to school in Buell? So all your kids who are about nine years old and growing, I'm just telling you. <clears throat> the Lord didn't give me any. Don't do, no sickly sweet nonsense. We all know when somebody's just flattering us up to take us down, don't we? Yeah, I I can tell. My wife comes in and she goes, "Oh, gosh, I just I, when I look at you, so strong and <laughs> handsome, man. I love you so much. What's the next thing I'm going to say? What do you want? Oh, come on. Oh, yeah." Just so we can be clear, every time that happens, there's something in the garage that needs moved. Every single time. So same way, they come to Jesus with all these flattering words, right? It's not about truth, it's about power, it's about position, it's about who has authority. And the sooner we understand that that's how man works, the better off we're going to be. Because the current situation in our government is not about truth. It's about power and authority and who gets to make what call when. 
And just before anybody, before I don't offend everybody, on every side. Because on one side you have truth without love, which is brutal. And on the other side you have compassion without truth. And the problem is, until you get it together and put those two things together, you're never going to have it right. So if we can settle, what's, what's wrong is wrong and it's always going to be wrong. If it's illegal, it's illegal. Period. I don't understand why we're having the conversation. It, it does not make any sense to me. But it's never been about the truth. And, number two, it's never been about helping people because nobody's helping any of them. The people who are squawking the most ain't doing a, a, a nothing, nothing to help. You're worried about people f- separated? Get down there and help. Oh, no. Then I'd have to leave my walled house to go help somebody else. So, look, it's never, there's never going to be them that are going to make it right. If we can get that clear, it's never going to be them. It needs to be us. It's not going to be them. They're going to fight till kingdom come. Mark my words. They're going to fight and fight and fight. And we're going to pray. We're going to pray for unity. I know people get tired of hearing, well, why are you praying for unity? Because we don't have any. Have you not noticed that? There ain't no unity. And you got one side yelling about, about truth with no compassion. And you have the other side yelling about compassion with no truth. Now, I don't have a degree in nothing. Well, that's not true. I have a couple, but they don't matter to anybody but me. (laughs) But I'm smart enough to know that's what's going on. That's what's going on then. It was not about truth. It was about power. Right? It's about the talking heads. Talking. That's what they do so well. But not really ever getting anything done. And maybe not for lack of trying, because we spend so much time going back and forth. So the way it gets done, the way it has always gotten done in history, just so you know, the way it has always gotten done, is when God's people say, you know, this is dumb. Why don't we start doing something? Why don't we just stop sitting around? Why don't we look over at the person who's starving and give them some food? Why don't we look at the people who are separated and figure out why they're separated and how we can make that better? Why don't we look at the the reason why people are doing illegal things and try to make it so they don't. Listen, what we do at the church is not mind-boggling. I try not to leave hundreds of dollars laying out on the counter. Why? Because I don't want somebody to take it. Why? Because we can't do without a hundred bucks? No, because I don't want them to steal. So we say, we try to remove the temptation. We try to remove the ability to do wrong. We have, a, a, we have a responsibility for that. Jesus is being asked this same question. This is why it matters. This is why they're asking him. Who should have the authority? Who should have the power? And they're going to trick him, right? We got him, we got him nailed. We're going to say, should you pay taxes to Caesar or not? So if he says yes, the people hate him. If he says no, Caesar will let us arrest him. Either way, no matter what he does, we got him. But when you're standing before the Word of God, asking questions about the Word of God, you know you're going to be in trouble, just so you know. Because his interpretation of God's Word is perfect. 
perfect. He actually knows what it is that God wants. And he's able to express those things to us. He's able to express them so that we can comprehend, so that we can understand. (coughs) So they give him the buttery language, they give him all the buttery speech. And they come before him, and they're trying to get him. They're trying to, to trick him into this concept, this idea that, that, you know, this Jesus who preaches this upside-down kingdom where children matter and social outcasts matter, and, and this one who's always trying to be for the people uh, and, 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 and of them, of the poor and caring about them, the one who has all this compassion, does he have any truth? Or is it all just a bunch of emotion? Does he have more than just that? Is it at the center of our world? Because at the center of the world of the people who are talking is Caesar. So what's at the center of yours? Because ultimately this is what's gonna, what it's all going to come down to today. If we want to see real lasting change in our world, then the center of your world needs to be Jesus. Needs to be the Lord God Almighty. Period. This is the question they're asking him. They're saying, Caesar's the center of the world and we want to retain this power. Why do they even care? Do you ever wonder? Do you know who gathered the tax? The Sanhedrin were responsible for getting the toll tax. Is what it's called. It's a toll. Just on your right to be part of the Roman Empire. And the toll tax was one denarius a year. So just so you know, there's nobody going broke over that. Translated to today, one day's wage a year. Wouldn't you like to pay tax like that? Yeah, what, what's the number now? Like you work three months of the year for the government, something like that? Wouldn't you like to just pay one day? Yeah, nobody's losing their mind over, over this tax. But is it lawful? Is it right? Does Caesar have authority? This is a question. Ultimately, the test they're laying out before to Jesus, is Caesar the center of the world? So Jesus, it says, he perceived their craftiness. So that means he knows, you guys are messing, trying to test me. So he asked them a question. Show me a denarius. Now here's how hypocritical people were in those days. They would talk about how bad Rome was, how lousy Rome was, how Rome wasn't worth anything, but they used Roman roads, they enjoyed Roman protection, all of them, every one of you guys heard about the Roman road that connected the whole world? Yeah, you know they built that, right? And that costs something. Rome's just not this, this oppressive, whoever is in charge is always the oppressor, you know that, right? No, the oppressor is always the one who's making the rule. So Rome, they got these Roman roads, they got this Roman peace, the Pax Romana. People enjoyed all that stuff. Nobody complained about that. Nobody was complaining about the things they provided. So the Jew would say, well, you know, Rome, but we're not real supporters of Rome, so I don't carry a denarius. As soon as I get a denarius, I exchange it. What did they have at the temple? Money changers, you remember? They have money changers because they got Hebrew. It's still that way over there. They got, you got Jewish money. You got Greek money. You got Roman money. 
If you go to Israel today, only place in the entire world that I know of that you can go to another country, pull out a dollar, and spend it. Yeah? Now, try it in Mexico. Uh, one time we stopped someplace and we, we wanted to get a double bacon cheeseburger. And, uh, but all we had was American dollars. I don't remember what country we were in. We said, hey, um, will you take a buck? And they're like, no. If you were home, would you take my money? Might have got a point there. Probably not. But there in the old city in Jerusalem, they take everything. Everything. They did it then. But they didn't want to be caught with it in their pocket. But the Sanhedrin who collected it, the guys who were asking the question, they always had Daenerys. So Jesus said, show me a Daenerys. So the Sanhedrin, of course, have one in their pocket. Which immediately make all the pious people go, oh, see, yeah, you know, look what they got. They're carrying that dirty money. So they pull out their denarius <coughs> and they show it to him. And he says, whose likeness and inscription does it have? And they said, Caesar's. And this is usually where people start to stop listening. So then he said, render to Caesar, to Caesar what is already his. That's what it says literally. Render to Caesar the things that are Caesar's. Give Caesar what's already his. Give Caesar what's already his. His name's on it. So give Caesar what belongs to him. And most of the time we, we're not big fans of that. There's a lot of things that that, that includes. Not only does, does the Bible teach to pay your taxes. The Bible teaches to give respect. The Bible teaches to give honor. The Bible teaches a lot of things that people don't like to do no more. To nobody. It's crazy the things people say and do to positions of authority because we struggle with authority because today the question of authority is not, well, should should the state have authority? The question is, I'm the authority and I'm the only authority that matters. So if I don't like how you look, what you say, what you think, I'm not going to listen, I'm not going to hear, I'm just going to yell. I'm just going to play music, I'm just going to be obnoxious. Still going on. Still going on. There's a a documentary out there called The Free Speech Apocalypse, where it's not the only time it's happened, it's also happened to several other people, Um, but uh, in this case it was a pastor in Moscow, Idaho, Got invited to a school in Indiana. They asked him to come speak about uh, uh, the biblical view on sexuality. And so he came out to do a talk. They invited him. They asked him to come. He's showing up. They broadcasted over the school. He never was able to give the speech. Because the kids filled in the auditorium and then just screamed at him every time he tried to talk. Did truth matter? Any honor or respect? Nope. What mattered? I am the authority. What's the first thing that goes? Free speech. Let's get rid of that. Where do you think they learned that? Congress. How long they've been doing it? Forever. You ever heard of a filibuster? What's a filibuster? Some moron stands out in front of everybody, reads a phone book. And he, he takes the mic so no one else can talk, so nobody else can do anything. He just uses up all his time so nothing can be discussed, nothing can be worked out. That's what a filibuster is. They've been doing it for 
200 years. So shocking that we look at, at, at our world and we think, where did all this come from? Well, that's where it all came from. Give to Caesar what is Caesar's. Romans chapter 13 says, there's no authority under heaven except what Christ has given. Who's the authority in your life? If Jesus is the authority in your life, he would say, render honor to whom honor is due. Respect to who respect is due. Taxes to who taxes is due. That's right out of Romans 13. The Apostle Paul. Who's the authority in your life? You? Or is it Christ? Will you do it his way? Or am I going to do it my way? So first, render unto Caesar the things that are Caesar's. Whose inscription is on the coin? Caesar's. Then he says, render unto God what? Oh. Whose image is on you? Do you remember? Genesis chapter 1, verse 26, something like that. You were created in the image of God. So render unto God the things that are God's. What does the Bible declare? The earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. The vineyard of the Lord is Israel. We can expand that. How about this? The vineyard of the Lord is the universe. It's all His. It all belongs to God. Render unto God the things that are God's. Are we rendering to the Lord <coughs> the things that belong to the Lord? Are we hearing the, the, the question that's being asked? Think about the, the ministry of Christ. Chapter 2, the scariest chapter in the Gospel of Luke. Chapter 2, verse 49. For a couple of days, Mary and Joseph lost Jesus. Where is he? If you lost your child for two days, would you pray? Did they? Yeah, praise. Some will praise. Some, some will worry. But Mary and Joseph, they pray. Dear Lord, we've lost Jesus. Nope, I'm, I don't think I'm going to pray. But God knows. I, don't, I have no idea what that would feel like. But that's got to be bad. And when they find him, what did Jesus say to them? Luke chapter 2, verse 49. Did you not know that I must be about my... Render unto God the things that are God's. Jesus knew that. The Bible says in the Gospel of John, He always did those things that His Father wanted Him to do. He always did. He always spoke the things that the Father wanted him to speak. He was faithful in all those things. Who's the authority in your life? Render unto Caesar, render unto the government the things that the government is due. Our respect, our honor, our taxes. That's it. But render unto God the things that are His. And everything belongs to Him. Now when he's asking this question, think about what the Sanhedrin's doing. The Sanhedrin's collecting the poll tax. They've already made their choice. They're siding with Caesar. Caesar's the center of their world. Caesar is the one through whom they receive all their power and authority. Nobody cuts off the branch they're sitting on. Nobody. 
They cut and saw branches that other people are sitting on. But they don't cut the one they're sitting on. So they don't want to deal with anything that would take away their authority. Well, how much easier is it when we just say, you know what, I don't have any authority. It's God's authority. His word is the ultimate authority in my life. I'm going to follow him. I'm going to do what his word says just because his word says it and that's enough for me. And whatever it was, whatever it was, why can't we just do it? Well, the reason we can't do it is because there's a struggle within us to lay down our authority and let God be the authority. Render unto God the things that are God's. Well, what's God want? Oh, I don't know. Isaiah 59 or 58, 9. Call on the Lord and he will answer. You will cry. He'll say, here I am. Why? If you take away the yoke from your midst. Who's the authority in your life? You or God? Take the yoke out of your midst. The bondage. The things we're bound to. The pointing of the finger. That's the pointing it at everyone else. The speaking of wickedness. That's gossiping. If you pour yourself out for the hungry, that's having compassion. Satisfy the desire of the afflicted. That's the sick, the hurting, the the ones who are in need, satisfying their desire. Then shall the light rise. We could run around and tell the truth. But if you speak the truth without love, you are a clanging symbol. You need to speak the truth with love, with compassion. What did he say? Feed the hungry. Did he say only feed the hungry? Just feed the hungry that have a good reason to be hungry. Is that what he said? Is that in the biblical text? Feed the hungry that are deserving. But the hungry that are dumb, don't feed them. Only help the afflicted that aren't afflicted because of their own decisions. How many afflicted would that be? We have a great ability to stand on the truth and to hold up the truth. But if the truth is not governed in love, if we're not responding to the truth, then are you really rendering to God the things that are God's? Matthew 25, Jesus said, is he's dividing the sheep from the ghost. You understand the importance of that, right? Those who are in and those who are out. How's that? That's pretty clear. And he says to the ones who are in, you're in... Because when I was hungry, you, when I was naked, you, when I was in prison, you. And they asked him, Lord, when did we do these things? And he said, when you did it unto the least of these, my brethren, you did it. So you guys are familiar with it, right? You guys are out. How come you're out? Because when I was hungry, you didn't feed me. When I was naked, you didn't clothe me. When I was in prison, you didn't visit me. Well, Lord, when didn't we do these things? When you didn't do it unto the least of these, my brethren. We, have we struck that out of the Bible? Here's what we all got down. Everyone who confesses the name of Jesus shall be saved. Well, that's good and true. It's right. It's not ever not going to be right. But I will tell you, those who have confessed the name of Christ have a compassion of Christ. 
Those who confess the name of Christ have the compassion of Christ. Those who are in Christ Jesus act like Christ Jesus. No? If I am in Christ Jesus, don't I, don't I take on His attributes? Doesn't it tell us in, in 1 John, if I'm in Christ, I don't sin anymore? Does that mean I, I never mess up? No, it means if I'm in Christ, I take on the characteristics of Christ. So if I'm in sin, I'm going to run, flee from it. I'm going to say, Lord, forgive me. I'm going to confess. I'm going to repent. I'm going to move on. But my life looks like it got hit by something. Like a truck. Something happened. Something changed. Well, something's happened in the church. Something's happened in our hearts and lives because now we say, render unto Caesar the things that are Caesar and render unto God the things that are God. And we don't do nothing. We just walk away. We walk out and we say, man, preacher was on my case today. Somebody needs to take away them monsters from him, but he's carrying on a little crazy. We'll find some reason to take whatever was said and put it in the back and say, and comfort ourselves. It's all good. Nothing matters. Man. What, can we, can we, can we throw out the Sermon on the Mount? Really? It's like, Four or five chapters long about loving your enemy, doing good to those who hate you. We can, we can throw that out. We can tell ourselves, no, I don't need, nothing needs to change in my life. Nothing needs to change in my heart. We can sit on the political bandwagon. We can yell at the top of our lungs, build a wall. And the other people can yell, oh, don't build a wall. And we can, whoever yells loudest, they, they win. But in the end, if you got a wall and everybody on the other side is starving, what are you supposed to do? If they're naked, what are you supposed to do? Hey, build the wall. Don't let them, don't let them continue in sin. Make it so it's hard to sin. I don't have any problem with that. Zero. But I'm not going to speak the truth without compassion. If they're hungry, feed them. If you don't have enough, give up some more. What? Now he is talking crazy, I know. I got a lot of stuff too. But we have these, it just, we have these two sides screaming at each other. And they're both wrong. And they're both right. One's right, yes. Build a wall. Make what's illegal is illegal, period. That, that's not brain surgery. The other side's not wrong. Hey, we got to do something. We have to be compassionate for people who are less fortunate than us. Yep, that's true. We got truth, truth, but everybody's yelling, screaming at each other, not listening to any other. Nothing's happening. And while we get in our little committees and yelling, screaming at each other, people still starving. People still being robbed. Both things are still going on. Because I'm the center of authority in my life. And I would suggest Jesus Christ needs to be the center of authority in our life. And we do it his way. How he says. When he says. Whatever it costs. Maybe I won't have everything I got. I don't know. All I know is I want to be obedient to the Lord. So when I stand in front of him that day. When I stand before him. 
when I hear about this judgment of the sheep and the goats, then I know who I am. Oh, I'm Jesus. Jesus, who saw a man with leprosy and reached out and touched him. I want to be that guy. Because I've been the guy who's been in the hospital with the guy dying of AIDS and reach out and touch him. Because I'm really not worried about it. At all. But touch him, I don't want nothing from him, for him. I'm not trying to take nothing. I just want him to know somebody cares. Sat in a hospital watching guys die all around me of AIDS. Every day somebody was dying. Nobody was there. Is there judgment on the horizon for that? The slaughter of the innocent. Is anybody there? People hungry. Yeah, it's a big deal. I know. I, I wish I had all the... I wish I'd say, just do this and it'll all go away. I don't, I don't have the answer. I just know I need to have compassion and the truth. And I got to have them both. I got to care. I got to care. And maybe I don't have the answer, but I'm going to look for some way to help. People in, in Idaho being deported, never, get, not, never getting to say goodbye to their family, just poof. The government shut down, so you're sitting in, where, jail, holding in Boise. Hey, they broke the law. I get it. I'm not suggesting that I'm going to turn a blind eye. You compassionate for the family? For a little girl who didn't get to say goodbye to dad? For the wife who didn't get to? For people who don't know what's going on, when they deport them and they get over there and they say, well, now you can't apply for citizenship for whatever, five years, seven years, whatever the deal is. Really? If that was you, you're going to stay in Mexico for seven years? Let your little girl grow up in the United States? What's the solution? I don't know. And I know it doesn't have nothing to do with the wall. It has to do with people being broken and breaking the law and other people being willing to be compassionate. It doesn't mean... That, that right is wrong and wrong is right. We don't switch the truth. We don't flip the truth on its ear and make it false. What do we do? We have compassion. We have compassion. We get together and figure it out. We're too busy yelling at each other. Render unto God the things that are God's. Are you giving God what belongs to Him? Are you touching the people around you that God's asking you to touch with the love of Christ? Are you doing those things? When he said these things, it says in verse 26, (coughs) when he said these things, as he spoke these words, they were not able in the presence of the people to catch him in what he said. But marveling at his answer, they just became silent. That's sad. That's sad. Why? Because Jesus won the argument and they just shut up. We think that's what we want. No, what we want is repentance. What we want is change. What we want is people to recognize, yes, this is wrong and it's always going to be wrong. And this is wrong and it's always going to be wrong. I'm guilty. You're guilty. They're guilty. 
Everybody's guilty. So we pay the price that we have to pay. We render under Caesar to the things that are Caesar's, but we render to God the things that are God's. You are made in His image to be His hands and feet. To be the source of compassionate truth in the world. That truth doesn't change. Truth is truth. But it's truth in love, through love. Well, the Sadducees, they're the liberals. They're sitting there and they listen to this discussion and they're like, wow, Jesus shut them down, it's time for us. So this, uh, the, the liberal theologians, they step up. <coughs> they deny that there is a resurrection in verse 27. So they ask them a question. Now this has to do with authority too. The authority of Moses and who interprets scripture right. The authority of Moses. Who interprets scripture? Who's at the authority? This is still the issue. Who's in, who's, who makes the rules? So the Sadducees say, they come up with a, a, a question. Moses wrote for us, if a man's brother dies, having a wife, no children, the man must take a widow, <clears throat> raise up offspring for his brother. Truth. Called the Leverite marriage. Leverite marriage. It was so that the posterity of the family would continue. Because God owned the land. And it was leased to the people. And God didn't want the people of the 12 tribes of Israel to lose their portion of the land because they weren't able to have children. Something happened. There was a war and all the, whatever, whatever things went on. So God made a way so that the name of the family, the name of the tribe would continue, would live on, and the land would stay in their hands. They had security under God's design. So if a man died and he had no children, his brother would take his wife and bring up a child in his brother's name, and then that would be the one who got the the father's land. But <clears throat> this was the rule of the Leverite marriage. They come up with an idea. Well, okay, so there were seven brothers, and this woman was a black widow. And every time she married somebody, they died, and nobody had any kids. And finally, at the end, she died too. Now, who will get her in the, in the resurrection? Listen, don't miss it. The question is about a Leverite marriage. It's about a Leverite marriage. The question is, which of the seven brothers starts the chain over again? Here's what the Sadducee believed. The Sadducee believed there is no heaven. The way we gain posterity is in this life now. So as long as our line continues, we have everlasting life. If our line gets cut off, <clears throat> then we don't. So if we want to have everlasting life today, we got to have children. And in order to have children, we practice the Leverite marriage. And everybody knows this idea of the resurrection just needs to go away. There is no resurrection. There's none of these things. What we really need to focus on is what Moses said. Fulfill the Leverite marriage. So if there was a resurrection, here's the problem. We, 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 who, who's going to have the woman? To which one does she belong? So Jesus gives him two responses. His responses come in two parts. Part one, you don't understand the age to come. Part one, Jesus said to them, The sons of this age marry and are given in marriage. But those who are considered worthy 
to attain to that age and to the resurrection of the dead, neither marry nor are given in marriage. What are they talking about? They're talking about a Leverite marriage. There's no more need. How do I know he's talking about a Leverite marriage? Because he says, they don't die anymore. There's no death without offspring. There's no death. There's no need for a Leverite marriage. In the age to come, there is true, lasting, eternal life. There's no need for the Leverite marriage. The Leverite marriage is erased because there is no death. We become, he says, equal to the angels. In what regard? You don't die. You don't die. They'll be like the angels. They don't die. We are equal to the angels and are sons of God being sons of the resurrection. He goes on the second part of his answer. But that the dead are raised, even Moses showed. So the Sadducees, in their belief and their authority, their idea was that only the first five books of the Bible mattered. So everything else we can put away, the first five books matter. So when Jesus responds to them, guess what he uses? First five books. Actually, book number two. He's going to quote out of Exodus. He's going to say, so you know that Moses did believe in the resurrection. Because their premise was there is no resurrection. Jesus says, you're a mess. There is a resurrection. They will be resurrected to eternal life. There will be no need for a Leverite marriage. Nobody will be passing anybody's wife on and on and on. That's not going to happen anymore. What's going to happen, though, rather, is that you need to understand there is a resurrection. Moses showed in the passage about the bush, where he calls the Lord, he calls the Lord the God of Abraham and the God of Isaac and the God of Jacob. Now he is not the God of the dead, but of the living, for all live to him. He's quoting from Exodus 3.6 and Exodus 3.15. <clears throat> So when God was speaking to Moses, he was still the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. He said, I am the God. If you're a Sadducee and you believe that they're dead, then he is either saying, I am the God of dead men, which doesn't make any sense. Why? The dead have no God. They're dead. He says, I am now currently the God of the living, the long dead patriarchs, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. God is broadcasting his relationship with these persons. He, he's not afraid to be known by their name. And he concludes that they are still alive. Moses himself attested to the, re to the resurrection. For all live to him. Only living people have a God. He is the God of the living, not of the dead. He didn't say, I was the God of Abraham. He said what? I am the God of Abraham. He didn't say, I was the God of Jacob. He said, I am the God of Jacob. That's a present tense. He didn't say, I was the God of Isaac. He said, I am the God of Isaac. When Jesus told the story about the rich man and Lazarus, where was Abraham? Was he alive? Was he conscious? Was he coherent? Did he speak? Yeah, yeah. Remember the rich man said, send, send Lazarus to my brothers. Abraham said, no. 
No, you had your part. You had your time. Either they believe the law and the prophets or they don't. They won't believe even if one would rise from the dead. Abraham is alive in God. And when the scribes heard this, the scribes, that's another group there, <laughs> praying about their authority, they say, oh, teacher, you've spoken well. So the scribes are the lawyers. So the scribes, just so you know, they agree with Jesus. Every time somebody agrees with Jesus, we, we want to take out a billboard and say, look, Jesus was right. But every time we disagree with them, we don't like that. Don't get the, you don't get to pick and choose. Cut it up. The Jesus seminar has been trying to do it for 30 years. 2,000 years later, decide what Jesus really said and what Jesus didn't say. What gives them authority? Well, they're the authority. Who made them the authority? They made themselves the authority. How did they make themselves the authority? They declared themselves the authority. And then they wrote a book. And people bought it and said, look, there's the authority. <clears throat> they say Jesus didn't really say these things and we don't have to listen to them anymore. Who's authority? Who's the authority in your life? If it's self, we're in so much trouble. The scribes say, oh, teacher, you spoke well. They no longer dared to ask him any questions. But in verse 45, Jesus is not done. We'll look at this next week. <clears throat> in verse 45, he says to the scribes, And in the hearing of all the people, he said to his disciples, Beware the scribes, who like to walk around in long robes, Love greetings in the marketplaces, the best seats in the synagogues, places of honor at all the feasts, but they devour widows' houses and for a pretense make long prayer. What's he saying? He's saying, watch out for the scribes, because they say all these right things, and they look good on the outside. But while they're stealing from widows, they're praying long prayers. And God is saying, that's not good. This is not okay. Whitewashed tombs full of dead men's bones. You have all these groups. The Pharisees, they're messed up. This, the Sanhedrin, they're messed up. The Sadducees, they're messed up. The Herodians, they're messed up. <coughs> the scribes, they're messed up. And we look at them all and we think, they're messed up, they're messed up, they're messed up. What does that tell us? We're messed up. We're not capable of declaring ourselves the authority. That's why God said He is. We're not capable of discerning truth. That's why Jesus said, I am the way, the, and the life. Right? We're not able to, we cannot, we can, we can use our reasoning if we'll submit our reasoning to the authority of God. It all fits. If we don't, nothing makes sense. Nothing makes sense. Everything is absurd in this life if we go anywhere else. <clears throat> so when we look at our life this week, and we go into the second week of the fast, and we're considering the things that we talk about today, listen, it's, 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 there's more to things than just being right. There's more to the whole equation than just saying what's true. Are you rendering to Caesar the things that are Caesar's? More importantly, are you rendering to God what belongs to Him? Do you hear what He asks of you? In Isaiah 58, <coughs> He says, stop pointing your finger at other people. So stop looking at everybody else. 
You know what God is asking you to do. You know it because it's been bugging you for a while. And if you put it down in a box and throw duct tape over it and tape it shut, it won't make it go away. You're still going to have this nagging, bugging thing. Why? Because God cares about you, because God loves you, and he's impressing upon you those things that he's looking for out of you. Stop pointing your finger at somebody else. Say, Lord, what do you want me to do? How can I be a part of a solution? What would happen if all the churches in the entire United States all stopped bickering and decided, you know what, instead of arguing over theology, let's go do it. Let's just go be who God's asking us to be. Learn to love our neighbor. Learn to be compassionate. Learn to speak the truth. Learn that compassion doesn't mean you just let people do wrong all the time. That's not compassion. Being compassionate is saying, no, man, wrong is wrong. That's wrong. You done wrong. When I do wrong, I got to pay. What happens when you do wrong? Yeah. Yeah. I hear sad stories every week about some, some guy who's really a good dad and he loves his kids, but one day he went out and partying a little bit too much and, and he, and he <clears throat> you know, he drove, dr- drove drunk and he got in an accident and killed somebody and they put him away from manslaughter and, man, his poor family. Man, a poor guy too. And they should put him away. And he should do time because he done wrong. That's what it takes. you done wrong, you do wrong. But that don't mean I can't have compassion. What am I supposed to do for him? The Bible says, visit him. Share the word with him. Pray for him. Reach out to him. Write him letters. I probably got six guys in prison around the United States who asked me, write letters. And I'm horrible at writing letters. But I can't email them. So I'm supposed to write them letters. That's something I can do. That's visiting those who are in prison. No? We all know somebody. I promise you. I can, I can look at his family and have compassion. Man, I'm sorry this happened. and uh, <coughs> I'm sorry about it, but how can I help you in the, in the situation you're in now? How can I help? You can't pay your power bill, can't pay your rent, you don't have any food. I don't know what I can do, but I can do something. What happens if we all did that? What happens if the church, just in the church, learned to love their neighbor? What if that was the practical reality of who we were? What if we rendered unto God what was God's? Every day. You want change? That's your change. That's it. That's all we got to do. Oh. That and not give ourselves a reason not to do it as soon as we walk out the door. Be who God's calling you to be. Man, I I hope at the end of my life, I'm not going to have a tombstone. I don't know if I'm going to even have a place in the ground. But I hope the epitaph reads, rendered unto God. The things that were God's. Because it's all his. Everything. My relationship. My kids. My life. What I own. What I don't own. What everybody else owns. It's all his. Man.
I think if we get that, a lot of things change. But if I don't stop talking, you're never going to be able to answer your phone. So let's pray. (laughs) Let's pray. Father God, we thank you so much that we can be gathered here. We thank you for the truth of your word. God, I pray that the the stuff that's me, the stuff that's mine, God, just wash it away. With, With just your living water, wash it away. But the word of God, the authority of the word of God, and what the word of God is calling us to, God, I pray that that finds fertile soil in my heart. And I say, God, there's things you're asking of me beyond just sitting around. There's something you're looking for from me. Some way in which I am to (coughs) engage my culture. Some place in which I am to be the bearer of the truth with love. In compassion. Man, God, I pray that we would learn to be compassionate with our neighbors. I pray that we would learn this, just this lesson, this thing that you're calling us to, is they come to trip up our Savior, and our Savior is the authority because He is the Word. And the Word of God is truth, and He is the truth. And He says, render unto God the things that are God's, and you belong to God. His fingerprints are all over your life. So God, I pray we submit to you. We bow the knee. We declare you as king. But we're not like those who just say, Lord, Lord, and do whatever we want. But rather we say, Lord, what do I need to do? And we go. We show the world the love of Christ. Not just the words. We don't temper the truth. We don't chop the truth off and say, this is no longer true because it's offensive. No, truth is truth. But we're compassionate. We're compassionate enough to care. We're compassionate enough to care and to look into the eyes of a man who is dying without Christ while a disease rampages his body and he hates him and he doesn't want to have nothing to do with him but we're there to reach out a hand and tell him we care. So I can say I was there, God, I was there till the last second. Reaching out with the compassion and the love of God to a man who didn't want it. God, I pray that we see that this world is just spiraling out of crazy control. Nothing makes any sense. But we we have to stand on the truth, the ultimate truth. We have to stand on the authority of Christ. And we have to say what Isaiah said. There... Maybe not going to listen, but keep telling them. They're maybe not going to change, but keep showing them. Who will go for us, the Lord said. Who will go? And Isaiah said, here am I, send me. I pray that's our heart. Here am I, send me. We want to see our world change, and we're it. God has given us the mandate. We just got to go do it. Lord, I pray that you be glorified and magnified as we submit ourselves to you. We give you praise. In Jesus' name, amen.